0: I gave you fair warning, beware I gave you fair warning, beware
1: It came down to the wire, but in the end, an agreement was made between the league and the union in the 2015 MLS season. will start on time this weekend. This is the SBI Show. I am Garrett Cleverly in Orlando. Is Ivis Golaris so What's cracking, man?
2: Nothing much, Garrett. I have escaped the worst winter in, in, in it seems like 20 years, and I'm down in, in Orlando, Florida, and it's nice and hot. And, uh, you know, I flew down before the deal was done, but thankfully the deal got done. The CBA has been agreed on, and we will have more than 60,000 people at the
1: Citrus Bowl on Sunday for Orlando City versus NYC FC. Yeah, it's going to be great to uh, watch on TV, but, I mean, you'll be at the game, so you get to experience that. How's Orlando been so far? I mean, how, how amped is the city for this Sunday? Well,
2: I mean, see the thing, it's about Orlando, I mean, it's, you know, uh, to be fair, I was locked in this hotel. Uh, for like 30-something hours straight, just just knocking out preview stuff and working on the CBA stuff when it dropped. Um, but you definitely got a sense of, of, of the buzz around Kaká being here and, and, and the team starting off, uh, just getting a chance to go over to the Citrus Bowl uh, on Wednesday. Uh, first of all, that place, they put $200 million into the Citrus Bowl, and even though Orlando City is only going to be there one year, yeah. That place looks beautiful. I mean it looks so I mean compared to what it looked like it was a dump before. There's no other way to call, uh, say it. Uh, but they got their money's worth now. It looks nice. Uh Kaka's there. He's already drawing all the attention, the media attention here. So people are definitely getting hyped up. Uh they they're, they're going to have more than 60,000 there. And I got to tell you it would have been disastrous if there was a strike, if there w- if that game would have had to have been canceled, but thankfully mm-hmm. Uh, things got worked out, and now there's a CBA deal in place.
1: Yes, and the season will start on time on Friday night. Will be the first game. But going back to the CBA, I, guess, I mean, in reality, in, in a perfect world, everyone's happy, but that's just not going to happen. You're going to have both sides who are not going to be able to get exactly what they want. But when you look at this from both sides of the perspective, the players uh, and and the league, you know, when, when you kind of overall soak it all in, you know, what was your general thought, you know, when the news came out of of what all agreements were made in regards to the new CBA.
2: Well, the first thing is the, fir- the, the first reaction you're going to have, especially fans, is relief that there's no strike, that there's going to be a season. Uh, but when you kind of take a step back from that initial emotional reaction and you look at the deal, uh, the players, they, they they got some concessions. They definitely gained some ground in the deal. However, the question is, did they get enough? Did they get as much as they could have? Did they fight hard enough for a deal? Uh, given what, what, the, what was at stake, given mm-hmm. that the le- the leverage that they had, when you talk about two expansion teams about about to start, uh, sixty thousand expected at the Citrus Bowl, they had that leverage of, of of threatening to strike. And at the end of the day, it looks like they backed off. Uh, and not enough people were really willing to go to go to bat, go to the mattresses, so to speak, and 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 really fight for it. And I think that's why you have a lot of players that are unhappy because. There was a sense within the union that they were ready to go to battle, and and if the if if MLS the MLS officials if of MLS as a league wasn't going to be willing to concede and 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 give away major concessions, the, the players who were supposed to strike. They were supposed to stay in united. Uh, and I thought it was pretty telling that on Tuesday night, late Tuesday night, there was a vote to strike, and they voted eighteen to one in favor of striking. Um, and that was, and there was only one one team abstained, disunited abstained, uh, from what my sources tell me. And, and from that point, it looked like you know what, the strike's going to go down. However, uh, you had forces within the union that that really, really pushed. The group away from a strike and at that point it's not like you wanted to have a strike It's not like anyone wanted to have a strike But you had to be willing to really push it to the limit to try to get as much as you can and there's this real sense among uh, among among some players that P- the, the leaders of the union uh, gave in way too quickly. Well,
1: it, doesn't it seem just more kind of like a like a PR thing though to vote you know eighteen to one at one time and then twenty four hours later it just seems convenient that twelve teams were able to be convinced. It seems like those seven teams were always going to vote no, but I mean that almost seems to me that eighteen to one vote as as kind of a tactic to scare the owners as hey we're really serious this time. But I and mean, the, the it just it didn't. I guess to me it doesn't seem that serious. When the next day tw- it's twelve to seven.
2: Well, the whole th- this that's the thing. That's the question. I've talked to more than a dozen players involved in this process, and the sense you got was that there was some senior leadership within the union that was really pushing the group away from striking and really trying to appeal to that that segment of the of the union that didn't really ha- that wasn't really all that adamant about one side or another, and and just kind of wanted to play along. And you know there was a section that never wanted to strike. There's no, there's no doubt about yeah. that. But it's still. But it it, it, it it was not a PR stunt. It was not a fabrication. You had 18 teams that had the majority of their players wanting to strike. That much we know, and that much I, I can tell you is legitimate. However, what happened is from that point you really had the push from within the union to not strike, and they succeeded one by one. And I th- what what I'll say is I it, it was pretty kind of damning is. 12 to 7 was the final vote and 12 to 7 is by no means this runaway vote and also you have to take into account from what i understand and from what i reported one of the representatives for one of the teams that wanted to strike actually went and voted against his teammates wishes and and voted for the deal so now if you take that player and you have him vote as he should have voted that then you're talking 11 to 8 you're Mm -hmm. talking very close so from that standpoint it, you look at it and you say how happy is the union as a whole with this deal and you get the sense there are a lot of people who are really unhappy i wrote a story for gold.com uh where where i spoke to two players off the record and they both blasted the deal well one 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 really really came down hard and you know you can say oh don't you know you, they're raining on the parade uh they they just have to accept what the group as wants as a whole and at this point you know what the battle's bit the battle's over uh, you I, and and one of the things you did say was the whole idea of, uh, if both sides are unhappy, then it's a good deal. And I and I saw a lot of people say that on Twitter, right? <laughs> that, that's but that's the, ridiculous. No, no. But here's the thing: where in the world have have we seen a legitimate response from the owners onto this deal where they were unhappy with it? The owners were not unhappy. Anyone who honestly thinks owner the owners came away unhappy and feeling like they lost in this are you're crazy. That's definitely not the case. I know some people maybe mistook uh the vote uh the vote results that i put out as if that was the owners that were voting in that case and that seven teams ownership groups didn't want that that cba deal that was not the case this the, the, the i can tell you right now from what i understand the owners are, are happy with this deal they're happy now could would they like to have gotten uh not given as much as they gave sure but at the end of the day they are happy with this deal and that right there tells you that you know, if the if the owners as a, as a majority are pretty happy with the deal, and the union is unhappy, a a, ch- a, seg- a large segment of the of, of the union is unhappy, and you could see the executive director of the union uh, fired. Uh, from what I'm hearing now, there's going to be a push to that. It tells you that maybe this deal was better for the owners. And you know what? At the end of the day, fans don't care. Fans just want they just want soccer. Um, but. Over time, I think we're really going to get a sense of of what the players gave away and just what they got. Because I can tell you, after the 2010 CBA, there was a similar kind of positive reaction, like, "Oh yeah, the, the, you know, the players got concessions, the players got this reentry draft. This is going to be a great thing." And then two, you know, two to three years in, you already had players saying, "Yeah, you know what? We didn't make out in that draft in that in that uh, CBA deal. We did not. It was not a good deal for us." And then five years later, as one of the players I quoted says, they dropped the ball again. They, they they missed
1: a chance, again, to get as good a deal as they could have gotten. Well, the, pl- the players did get a few things. And one of the things the owners weren't able to get is they're pushing for an eight-year extension on the CBA. It's only five years. So in five more years, two te- the two sides are going to have to go back to the table. But one thing the players did get, Ivis, is free agency. And at first you're saying, yes, the players did get something, but... The, the the rules are the player has to be 28 and a combination of playing eight years in the league and only 10 percent of players actually qualify for that. I mean, it almost seems like it'd be near impossible to qualify for free agency in Major League Soccer. Right. I mean, you know, it, it, the free agency,
2: the the variation of free agency that, that they've come up with, uh, it, you can say that's positive for players. Now, having said that, when you look at it uh, from the standpoint of, all right, you're a player, you get to that point where you can, can choose your team. Under these guidelines, you, like let's say you have a monster year, or, or you close out your your contract, you have a monster year. You know, you, you have a Bradley Wright Phillips esque twenty seven goal season. Uh, you're a free agent; you can go anywhere you want. Um, it's not like you can go wherever you want and go get DP money if you were nope. on, you know, hundred thousand. There is a cap on how much you can make. So, I mean, right there, it's it's like it's it's kind of you know it's bittersweet. There, you know, you on one hand you can pick your team uh where when once you're free agent but you you're limited to the amount of money you can make and and that's that that's it's a big restriction you know so i i think from that standpoint it is good that players will have that freedom once they're a veteran once they've put their 8 years into the league and once their contract has expired and they're actually a free agent they can pick any team they want in MLS but the amount of money they can make is limited and for a lot of players they're pretty unhappy with that because it does. It limits you. It's it's one thing to to be able to go where you want uh, without having to be traded, without having to uh, rely on your team to to make a deal for, uh, to to send you somewhere. But that 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 money aspect, I think in in if, if anything, in a few years mm-hmm. from now. If anything's going to come back to bite them or if anything that players are going to look back and say, man, we really, we got taken on that one. I think that is going to be the thing that, that players are most unhappy with.
1: Oh, definitely. I mean, it definitely seems like the owners really didn't have to give up that much free agency. I mean, it, it makes sense. Eight years, that's a long time rather than four years, guys who may be ending the the end of their first contract they signed with Major League Soccer. But eight years, I mean, obviously, you, you may have some guys who are 31, 32, possibly 33 hitting free agency. I, I mean, that, that's that, that's 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 quite old for a lot of guys. Right. I mean,
2: it's, uh, I, I don't know. I mean, generally speaking, when you're a rookie coming into the league, you're probably, what, 21, 22. Mm-hmm. If you play out two contracts, you're, what, 28, 29. So, that, I mean, that's that's, that's pretty standard. And, and I know a lot of people were saying we're clamoring for the union to fight for a younger age. Um, and, and, that you know, it should have been an either or. It should have been 28 years of age or eight years. Um, and, and what I'll say to that is, owners were never going to budge, for, for, from what I understand. Owners were never going to budge on a younger age because, you know, when you think about it, let's say now with all the money being invested in academies and you have players 16 and 17 years old that you're bringing up to the first team, you're signing the contracts. Um, you know, if they're putting their eight years in and you have a lower restriction, do you really expect the team to be happy with? Uh, losing a player at say age 24, like a 16 year old player and a 16 year old academy product who probably isn't going to play much. His first two or three years, they bring him along, they play him in USL, in in USL and the second team. Uh, and then they get a few years out of them and before you know it boom they're they're a free agent at 24 25 and that's i mean that's why i never saw that happening i mean we t- is, what's funny is and 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 i'm sure you you saw this too we talked about this two, two weeks ago about what would it take to get the deal done and and i i brought i said this exact number uh figure up this this Structure up that this was what it was going to probably have to be a service time deal an agent a service time deal much like what baseball does mm-hmm. or when when they finally got the ball rolling before they went to full free agency. So I, I think it was a an, an interesting compromise and it makes plenty of sense. But if you're the players when you look at that cap when you look at that cap on the movement. It's kind of uh, you know, I think it's going to come back to haunt some of these players, yeah I mean look
1: you you look at it both ways, you could look at it as owners got the advantage in this, or you could look at it as a silver lining for the players where at least a step in the, it's a step in the right direction, maybe five years. They can readdress it again, get that age lowered, and get the ability to make more money uh, a little higher for them. Also, speaking of younger players, I have this, another thing that did come out of the CBA is that the league minimum salary is now up to $60,000, which is a 60% increase from what it was a year ago. So the new minimum salary is now $60,000. Right. I mean, that's a big step
2: absolutely a big step when you're talking about a professional sports league in this country uh to have players making in the 30s uh just was always a bit of a black eye on things now they're moving it up closer uh and from what came out today now you had some players some members of the union that were saying that on the on the far end of this deal uh the minimum is going to go up even higher so you're talking about up to 70 for a minimum, which is great for a league that I mean, when I started covering the league, you had guys making $11,000. Yep. I mean, it is insane. So it's great. That's great to see that kind of progress. However, one thing I'm curious to see, and we haven't gotten the full details yet on the CBA is will those players will the minimum salary players still uh, still not count towards the salary cap because the way it was now the way it was structured in the old salary cap. Um, the players who were on the lower end of the, of the salary spectrum. They didn't count towards the cap. And at the end of the day, does it really matter when those guys are making like thirty thousand? However, when you're talking about sixty thousand, we're talking about you know five, six, seven guys uh, that are making that kind of money. If that all of a sudden now counts towards the cap, that's eating into the overall salary cap increase, which we're still waiting on final numbers on what the increase was. But I, I would say people need to maybe uh, wait on how happy they are with this deal until they get all the details, specifically that detail. Because if you're talking about five or six uh, or, or more mi- minimum salary contracts that are like $60,000 that suddenly now count towards the cap, you're talking about what, 400000 maybe $500,000 worth of, of salaries that will go- eat into uh, whatever gains they got in the cap, and 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 I'll say that just to kind of sum, just to wrap it all, I'll put a bonnet, is did the players get something out of this deal? Yes, they did. Did they gain some ground? Yes, they did. But I think where people are unhappy with is that they didn't gain nearly as much ground as they could have given the leverage that they had. Um, but like you said, I agree with you. It's a step. It, it's a step towards what the ideal will be. It's just you just wonder how long it's going to take for them to get everything they want.
1: And moving over to the Concacaf Champions League, Montreal Impact is in the semifinals after a 94th minute goal from rookie Cameron Porter. Arguably, Ivis the biggest goal in Montreal Impact history. I
2: don't think there's any argument to be made. It's absolutely the biggest goal in Montreal Impact history. It was a great moment for the rookie and uh, and great for Montreal. You know they obviously have had had a rough go since they've been in MLS and. You know, last year was a bit of a nightmare as well, but they've they've kind of trudged along and carried the flag for MLS in Champions League, and uh, they're the last team standing. You had, I think, you had five teams in uh, starting out in in the beginning of the group stages for the Champions League, and and Montreal, after knocking out the Red Bulls to get to the knockout rounds, they beat Pachuca, and and I got to say, anyone, any MLS fan who was watching that for all the times that you've seen an MLS team find a way to lose to a Mexican team, to see them turn the tables Mm -hmm. and find a late winner like that. It was unbelievable. And I mean, except for maybe Toronto fans, I got to say, if you were an MLS fan and you were watching that, I don't know how you don't, you don't sit there and celebrate that just because you look, you know, if you, you just all the pain and anguish of years past in that competition and, and all, and and all matchups against, against Mexican clubs. uh, It was a big, obviously a big moment. And look, nothing but look I'll give Pachuca credit they were the better they were the better team really over the course of the of the two legs but when it comes down to it is is the result and, and Montreal did enough and let's not forget the fact that Pachuca is in the middle of their season uh mm-hmm. Montreal's in their preseason and for Montreal to get that result that's why you know you can hammer you can hammer them for for being the inferior side quote-unquote in the run of play and Pachuca created the more chances and all that but th- that's a big obstacle that Montreal had to overcome in, in in not even being in their season and having to play in this in in this matchup and for them to come out ahead, outstanding credit to uh, Frank Klopas for, for getting it done and now they're one step away. They're in the semifinals, I believe that I think they might be the first team since RSL to uh, MLS team to get that far. So now they play Alajuelense, the Costa Rican side
1: that just eliminated uh, DC United
2: uh, in pretty ugly fashion.
1: Uh, that first game for Montreal will be on March. 18th. I know, also impressive, Ivis. Not only do they advance to the semifinals, but beat a Mexican side, which is rare to begin with for MLS. That's CONCACAF Champions League. I mean, Definitely two feathers in the hat. On the other end of the spectrum, you have DC United. They did win their game 2-1, Ivis, but they fall short on aggregate 6-4 and are eliminated from CONCACAF Champions League.
2: Yep, it was always going to be a tough task to come back and, and and erase that result from the first leg. The first leg ended up costing them, obviously, and, and you had the, the goalkeeper, Andrew Dexter, just had a nightmare in that first leg. I'm sure D.C. fans will look back on the series and say, hey, if we had Bill Hamid, we win that series, or we keep it close. And, and you know, those things happen. So uh, right now, all D.C. can do is shake it off and, and try to look forward to the regular season. And it was a bit of a bittersweet night when you think about it. On the same night that the CBA deal gets done, they get eliminated. And, and from what I understand, they, the players walked into the locker room to the good news. And, and uh, while on one hand, I'm sure they were devastated about getting eliminated, they had to be happy that this season's going to get underway. And D.C. is going to be a, a good team, a team to watch in, in uh, MLS this year.
1: And Ivis, it's now time for our Western Conference preview, as we did in our previous show, which was the Eastern Conference preview. We started at the very bottom and worked our way to the top, Ivis and I combined our rankings into what an, what is an SBI show ranking of the top uh, of the 10 teams in the Western Conference. And kicking it off, Ivis, the number 10 team, who is that? The uh, number 10,
2: the Colorado Rapids, the absolute worst team in the league in the second half of 2014. Uh, it's tough to see them doing that much better as much as they had some upgrades. But right, I think we both pretty much agreed we have them both near the bottom. I had them at the very bottom. You had them one up from the bottom, but mm. I think it's going to be another rough year in Commerce City for Pablo Mastroianni and the
1: Rapids. Yeah, I definitely think if, if Colorado can compete for a playoff spot throughout the year, maybe hover for that sixth spot, I think it will be a good season for them. I mean, they brought in some veterans over the offseason. I just mean, Marcelo Sarvis, great year last year with the Galaxy. I mean, that's a great addition for them. Um, Sam Cronin's there, Bobby Berlin, and they also have Zach McMath in goal. So you have a lot of different pieces to this team. And you kind of wonder how everyone's going to gel together with some, with some of the younger players they have returning from last year. You know, Dylan Powers, uh, Shane O'Neill. It's going to be kind of interesting to see how what, what type of team identity Colorado's going to have this season.
2: Yeah, you know the midfield is obviously going to be an upgrade when, when you're able to add a couple of players like Marcelo Sarvas and and uh, Sam Cronin from the San Jose Earthquakes. But I mean, it comes back to that defense, and that defense was absolutely atrocious last year. I just don't know if they got if they improved enough. I really don't, I really don't think that that they did, and I think that's kind of the consensus uh, around the league. Now, obviously, they could still go out and, and make some additions to help bolster their defense, but for right now. It's tough to see them them being a, a threat in the West, especially in the West. As stacked as teams are mm-hmm. in the West, a lot of teams improved. You bring Kansas City over, who for me, I think they're going to have a bounce back year. Uh, it's just going to be too tough. It's going to be too tough. And if you're Colorado, you you... you if you're not going to make the playoffs, you want to at least see progress. You want to see Maschione show that he's getting the hang of things as a coach. And obviously, last year was a nightmare. But you know, you kind of had to expect some growing pains when you throw an a inexperienced coach in. Uh, into the deep end like they did and Mash you know, you talked about that this this, this winter about just the, the learning experience that he that he had and, and, and the growing pains and he feels confident about doing better this year. Obviously everyone does. Every coach has the same thing. They think they're mm, gonna be better. That, everyone has the they, same record at uh, the start uh, of the season. You're right. Everyone everyone's optimistic <laughs> but when you just the, the cold hard facts are their defense does not look reliable. Their forwards, while Deshaun Brown can score goals here and there, you're not going to say he's like a top forward in the league. Gabriel Torres was, a was,
1: you know, he had an awful year last year. So
2: mm-hmm. it, it's tough to see them really climbing out of the West cellar.
1: I, I agree. It's Especially in the West, it's, it's such a difficult – there's so many quality teams uh, on top of them. All right, Avis, moving up the list, the number nine team in the Western Conference, who is that? Well, the number nine team in the Western Conference –
2: the San Jose Earthquakes. And I know some people might be a little surprised that we, we have them that low, given the fact that Dom Kinnear's back. Everyone knows Dom is a great coach, but it, Dom Kinnear has a lot to work on there. Yep. And they were a really bad team last year. And we haven't seen enough turnaround this offseason to make us think that there's going to be this magical change in results for them.
1: Uh, do you think they did enough this offseason? Yes, they brought in Maro Wynn, which is nice for them. Uh, they also brought in D.P. Innocent Emigara, you know, he's, he, you, know you, you don't know what you're going to get out of some of these foreign guys that come to Major League Soccer. I mean, the question is, Ivis with San Jose, I mean, did they do enough going into this season?
2: No, I don't think they did, to be honest with you. And look, last year they had injury issues, obviously, Clarence Goodson got hurt, Victor Bernardez had his knocks. Um, so maybe their defense could be a, a bit more improved, but the real issue for them last year was the goals. The, the, they struggled to score goals. And I know you had, look, Wanda Lasky was at the World Cup for a big chunk, um, he had, he had. I believe he had injury at the beginning of the year, but they—they, they, I just don't think they did enough. I know they went and signed a designated player, but you know his track record isn't exactly one of a guy that you're going to sit there and say, oh, he is a can't miss guy. Obviously, they're going to have their playmaker Garcia healthy now, and that that that'll help him. He he missed he missed a chunk with injury last year. But I, I just don't see it. I just don't see it. I mean, I know they have. Look, Tommy Thompson's an exciting young player, but mm-hmm. even he's not guaranteed to start. Uh, I talk, you know, I talked to Dom Kinnear the other day about it, and he, you know, he sees him as an exciting young talent, but you know, he still needs to develop. So when you look at it, you look at their defense. Their defense could be improved. I think they will be improved because look, Dom Kinnear, he, if you look at his track record, he's always done a good job of putting together strong defenses, but. Beyond that, the goals. I just don't know if the goals are going to be there. I think Wando sco- Wandelowski scores his goals. He's gonna, you know, he, he'll get his he'll get his fifteen goals. I he think did, this he year he did score
1: fourteen goals last season.
2: Right. He he scored fourteen and 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 you know he, people expect more from him just because of the big years he's had previous, but. I just don't know if he can do it on his own, and I don't know if the the pickups that they made were enough. You also have a new starter in goal in David Bingham, who this is his first year as a starter, and he's a talented player coming out of college. He was a really highly regarded prospect, and he's had his chance to to kind of be groomed and uh, and be the understudy, but now he's getting thrown in, and you have to wonder how he's going to do. A lot of times a goalkeeper in their first year as a starter, you're going to have growing pain, so that's something else to watch out for as well. So given all that, I just really do not see – San Jose turning things around in year one. Having said that, Dom Kinnear is a great coach. Mm-hmm. Maybe they don't do well in the first year, but maybe he starts making the moves, taking the steps to making the next year the big year. And let's not forget now they have a new stadium opening up. Mm-hmm. That, that could help, right? I mean, sometimes you team you see teams get a boost. Uh, when they get a new stadium But I just don't think That's going to be enough For them to be a real contender
1: Alright, well, moving on Ivis and moving up The list of teams In the Western Conference The number 7 team In the SBI rankings Who are they?
2: Well, number 7 In the West Is the one of the newest Entrants into the West Actually a team That used to be in the West The Houston Dynamo And Dom Kinnear Has moved on He's moved back home To San Jose The Dynamo have a new Coach in charge And it's none other than Former Bolton manager Owen Coyle And once again We get to see A foreign manager Try his hand in MLS and see if they can uh, break the, the long-standing tradition of foreign managers struggling in MLS.
1: Well, ignoring just quickly ignoring the fact that Owen Coyle is a new manager and, and foreign managers don't do well in Major League Soccer. When, when you look at the team that the Houston Dynamo have, Giles Barnes, I was, he's, he's improved every single year since he's joined the Houston Dynamo. Maybe you're expecting a bigger year three for him uh Houston Dynamo also fixed up their defense which allowed a lot of goals last year bringing in Raul Rodriguez uh you have Eric Torres joining them in a few months I mean obviously when you look at this Houston Dynamo team in the east maybe you're saying they're competing for a playoff spot but in the west uh it looks brutal but still I mean Houston looks like they have a, assembled a pretty good starting 11
2: I think they're going to be competitive I, th- I think that that's not a stretch to say I think, let's not forget, adding Kubo Torres. Eric Kubo Torres, that was one of the big moves of the offseason. Now he's not going to come right away, at least as far as right now. It doesn't seem like he's going to come anytime soon. Even though it, he's pretty much wasting away on the bench at Chivas Guadalajara, he is going to be a big impact player for them. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's been a while now that they've kind of wanted – A lead striker a a go-to striker someone that they could rely on for goals i mean nothing against will bruin who's you know he's put up some goals through the years but he's never kind of been that guy to carry an attack and torres can be that player so once he comes in i think that really helps them like i agree with you i think their their lineup is pretty solid i think adding rodriguez helps them i mean they needed that kind of anchor center back um and, you know, they, the questions in goal now with Tally Hall, Tally Hall moving on now and you have Tyler Derrick looking like he's going to be the starter. You have Joe Willis uh, competing with him for that starting job. I think they'll compete, but are they a playoff team in the West? I think that's a tough one. I, I like Giles Barnes. I think he did well last year. I think he'll do better. Obviously, the Brad Davis-Boniac-Garcia tandem is, is is a good one as well. But mm-hmm. I I think it's a little – de- I just am not sold completely – uh, on them to, to make it in. I think a lot has to go right, and I think Owen Coyle will have some growing pains as a manager. He's, he's You only hear great things about him and, and just having a chance to talk to him. He, he's obviously a really sharp guy, charismatic guy, but as far as it, jumping in year one into the league and having to compete in the, the brutal Western Conference, I think I don't think this will be the year for them to make the big jump. I think they'll
1: compete, but I think they're going to miss out on the playoffs. Uh, moving up the list, the final team in our SPI preseason rankings that will not make the playoffs checking in at the number seven spot ivis who is that i know some people are are not going to be too happy especially north
2: of the border and this could be completely wrong because i think they're pretty close to the to the teams above them in the pack Uh, that would be the Vancouver Whitecaps. And I think, look, the Vancouver Whitecaps, they have the pieces there Mm -hmm. to to finish higher. They they definitely do. I mean, they could absolutely be a playoff team. And credit to them, credit to Carl Robinson for for helping them turn it around right at the end and and putting the results together in the final weeks of the 2014 season uh, to get into the playoffs. I mean, when we remember against Portland, they got smacked around twice by the Timbers. Uh, They played them home and away uh, three weeks apart, and Portland dropped them both times, and it looked like, oh, they're dead. uh, Portland's going to roll now. Portland's going to finish in the playoffs. But no, Vancouver got off the mat. They went to Seattle. They beat Seattle. They really turned it on. And, you know, you have to ask yourself, is that momentum going to carry over? And did they do enough this offseason to to give them that push? Because the Western Conference is getting tougher. Uh, You have Sporting KC coming in. You have Houston coming in. They're going to be competitive. Mm -hmm. So it's going to be tough. But we have, for me personally, I have Vancouver just missing out. But uh, I, by no means, think that they they can't make the playoffs. I, I absolutely think they can.
1: When you talk about if the Vancouver Whitecaps did enough, they returned kind of I guess the core of what they had last year. Pedro Morales is back, Kuta Mane, Gershon Coffey. Uh, Vancouver also went out and brought in Diego Rodriguez to add to their defensive back line, which Vancouver had a very good defensive back line last year. And they also brought in Octavio Rivero uh, to be their new forward up top. And you look at these two right there, I Ivis, those, those transfers where these guys should be in the starting 11. I mean, can you think in a perfect world they'll push them over the edge and get them into the playoffs?
2: Well, that's the big question, right? I mean, the, these guys aren't necessarily household names or, or established international stars like David Villa or Kakas. So you can't necessarily just pencil them in to be the kind of impact players that, that that you hope they'll be. I mean, obviously, Vancouver's done well in the past with some of their additions, some of their international signings. Uh, they did lose Sebastian Fernandez from last year. Um, they did, they, they hit a home run, they hit it out of the park with Pedro Morales. He, he was one of the best. Uh, newcomers in the league last year it, Arguably the best newcomer in the league last year So uh, you have to ask yourself is, is Rivero that forward That they can count on to give them 15-20 goals Or you know even 15 goals I mean Maddox Darren Maddox is still enigmatic Kikuta Mane is exciting But he's not consistent uh, so they need that guy that they can count on for goals. Because their midfield, I think their midfield is solid. When you talk about Mor- uh, Morales and Matias Lava, Matias Lava for me, one of the most underrated players in the league. I know folks in Canada love him. Um, but you just look at, you look at any of the stats, you watch him play, he is a monster in the midfield, big for them. Um, so they have that midfield uh, core in there that that just can keep them in, all, in a lot of games. Morales, I thought, did better than I thought he would. Uh, I'll, I'll be the first to say it. When they traded for him, I didn't think... He was going to do well, necessarily give them what they needed, but I thought he did pretty well there. Um, but it's going to come down to how those two those two newcomers do for them. If, if Rivero and Rodriguez are impact players, uh, not Montreal impact, but if they can make an impact, then yes, Vancouver, they will be a playoff team. But they're, they're quite,
1: the the jury's still out on, on both those guys. All right, Ivis. Well, now we're in the teams that have made the playoffs, according to our season previews. The final team to make the playoffs, which would be the number six team in the Western Conference, who are they? Well, the number six
2: seed, the team I don't know if we necessarily uh, agree on or disagree on completely, uh, is Real Salt Lake. And I know this is a, a team that we've just grown accustomed to being a powerhouse, to being, being one of the best teams in the West. But, you know, all good things come to an end. All dynasties eventually uh, break down and start to decline. And, and when we look at the way things went this offseason – they had several key pieces, several longstanding members mm-hmm. move on. And and this has obviously been about, what, a three-year process now of breaking down that team that won the MLS Cup back in 2009, that went to the CONCACAF Champions League final in 2011. That team, for the most part, it, it's, it's a memory now. I mean, there's still some obviously key players still there from that team. But when you had Nat Borchers move on, you had Ned Grabovoy move on, you had Chris Wingard move on, Uh, Those were big, big pieces uh, that they lost. Now, having said that, they did bring back and Olave. I think a big addition. Is is he he the player that he was when he was a defender of the year? In MLS, no. But having said that, anyone who watched him at the end of last season for the Red Bulls, I mean, he turned it on at the end of the year and was dominant once again. He was a big reason that the Red Bulls were able to really turn it on in the playoffs last year. So, I mean, it's nice that they brought him back. But when you keep losing players the way they have – uh, and you start chipping away at that at the depth that we've grown accustomed to RSL having. Uh, you have to ask yourself, can they still? uh main uh, maintain that position that they previously had and i think a lot of people coming into the year i know i agree I, I feel the same way i think they're gonna take a dip they're gonna take a step back they're gonna drop a bit uh i'm not ready to pull them out of the playoffs completely because they still have so much talent there you still have beckerman you still have Ramondo, alvaro saburillo obviously joe plata's injured you like you like to hope that he comes back and he, he he's dynamic like he was last year um but I just think they lost they lost many pieces, and I just don't think they have the depth
1: that they used to have. And I completely agree. For me, it is going to be the depth with three also. Like, mainly going to be at the four. I mean, when you look at the midfield, and, and yes, RSL in the preseason has been trying out that four through three, you're still going to have one of the better midfields in the league with Kyle Beckerman. Uh, Javier Morales, and also Luis Gil-Ivis, where you know, a lot of people are kind of saying maybe this is the year where he can take that step we can see him become, but with John Plata out for a few months. Um, the other thing is, you know, Sabo rio Ives, he, he you know, he has his injuries. He's going to have the Gold Cup this season. Uh, Real Salt Lake's going to need guys like Olmos Garcia, Devin Sandoval, Sebastian Jaime to step up. I mean, he didn't he exactly impress when he came over at the end of last season. So, I mean, for the one thing, Ivis, I mean, the question is for Real Salt Lake, I mean, who's going to be scoring the goals for them this year? It kind of looks a little dry across the board.
2: Well, I mean, they're going to need Saburillo to score goals. They're going to need uh, Jaime. Now, I know. Look, Sebastian Jaime, he he didn't make the impact maybe people thought he would make. I think he's a quality player. I think he could be one of those players who maybe doesn't do as well the first year, but in the second year he he adapts and adjusts. Now, Omis Garcia, I got to say, two years ago he showed quite a bit. Last year, not as much, but he's one that you you want to see. Can he take that next step? and show what he showed two years ago, and I think that's going to be big for them. Obviously, adding a player like DeMar Phillips, the Jamaican defender, uh, that that should help them uh, offset the the loss of a player like Chris Wingard, but I don't know, man. There's too many question marks. For a team like RSL, where in the past you always could kind of count on their starting 11 to be pretty solid, Mm. not a lot of question marks. You had a little bit of depth to work with, but now – just with the more pieces that they've lost, now there's these question marks. Like, will their forwards get it done? Can Luis Gill step up? Will their defense uh, work together? Will they mesh? Will Schuler and Olave work well together? Because obviously in the past it was Olave Borchers, then it was Borchers Schuler. Now you have Olave and Schuler. Can they work well together? So th- there's a lot of questions there. Now, and Jeff Kassar, he's going to be in the spotlight. Can he get the job done? Can he can he mold them more in his image? Now that he has to, now that that '09 MLS Cup team is such a distant memory, and I'm not saying he can't do it, but I, I just think the West, as tough as it is, I think they've they've lost uh, they've lost some serious ground on the powers in that conference. All right, Avis. Well, moving up the list, the number five team in the Western Conference, they are number five is the Portland Timbers, and uh, I think we uh, actually I know that this is kind of the one team if there's a disagreement on between the two of us. Uh, I, I actually have Portland. I think they're going to have a bounce back year. Uh, I, I think it's easy to forget. It's easier for people to forget that last year was a nightmare beginning for them. Uh, you know, every, everything that could go wrong went wrong. They couldn't win a game. They were winless in their first eight. But then from that point on, once they once they stabilized, once their defense got sorted, uh, and that was the big issue for them defensively, was it was just atrocious at the beginning of the year. Once they settled it down, once Caleb Porter worked out some kinks, adjusted some things tactically, they were a very good team. They were back to being close to that team that we mm-hmm. saw in 2013. And I think I think they're poised to be that team again. And I, I, when you look at a player like Darlington Agby, who only scored one goal last year, but he improved in a lot of other areas... I think he's due for a big year. I know they have some injury issues with Diego Valeri and Will Johnson, who are still working their way back, both working their way back from serious injuries. But I think – I mean they're eventually going to come back. And I think once they do come back, you're going to see this Portland team be a threat again. And they're going to be right there. They're going to be in every single game. I think now Nagy is going to have a huge bounce back here. Mm-hmm. And the big signing for me that's going to make a big impact there – is Nat Borchers because I, I tell you what I, I feel like don't people I feel like people do not give him his credit, give him the credit he deserves uh, as always being a, a consistent, reliable defender uh, and an underrated passer for Real Salt Lake. Now he goes to Portland, a team that absolutely needed a center back who could pass the ball out of the back, who could be that calming influence in the back, and he is that player. And so I think for them he is he, he can. They couldn't have asked for a better player to bring in and fill a need for them. So I think for for me, that's big. Now the question in goal, they they've added a new goal, a goal goalkeeper. The Ghanaian national team starter is in there now. We'll see how he does. That that's kind of a question mark, but he is kind of a internationally he's been a success. So if he is an upgrade, then then I tell you what, I feel real good about Portland having turnaround having a turnaround season.
1: I think the goalkeeper you're talking about is Adam Clark. Karase. I think he's going to be huge for the, the goalkeeper you're talking about is Adam Karase. I think he's going to be huge for the Portland Timbers. And the one thing for them, Ivis, that we've seen over the over the past two years is kind of having that solid defense under Caleb Porter. And, and you're right, bringing in Nat Borcher's is going to be huge for them. Uh, I was Powell looked big for them last year. I was really improved for them. And I mean, with Portland, you have so many attacking options. Darlington, Nagmi. Maximiliano, uh, Uroti, uh, Rodney Wallace, Gaston Fernandez. Uh, I mean, the one question mark for me is just going to be the midfield looks a bit weak to start this season. But, I, you know, once you get uh, Valeri back, once you get Will Johnson back, I mean, dude, Portland's going to have a lot of options uh, once everyone, when, once this team is going to be 100% healthy.
2: Well, I think what's interesting when you look at a team like that, um when the, you have this early season kind of injury crisis, it forces some players to step up. Mm-hmm. It, it gives some players an opportunity to get some minutes and to prove that they're that they're worth. F- putting on the field, and you're going to eventually get Valeri back. You're going to get Will Johnson back. And if those other players step up and shine, then all of a sudden your depth improves that much more. Yep. The confidence of your bench players in, uh, increases that much more. They're going to miss Valeri, right? I mean, he's one of the best players in the league, one of the absolute best playmakers in the league. But when you have Gata Fernandez, or you can try to slide in there. You still have Nagby. You have Wallace. You have Fernando Adi, who you know it, it quietly – Yes. Uh, had a great, he was great for them. I thought, you know, you thought he was a great addition. I, I feel like people didn't really talk about him as maybe as much as as they should have. But I mean, when you look at those pieces, absolutely they're going to miss uh, Johnson and Valeri. But you still have Diego Chara, who is that engine in the middle. Uh, you have a veteran like Jack Jewsbury, who while he isn't. The player that he once was when he was anchoring the uh, Kansas City midfield, he's still a veteran who knows how to play that position. You can plug him in. Obviously, the, it's a big blow for them to lose a guy like Ben Zemansky, Uh after, you know, you, ha- you have him there to, to kind of fill in for Will Johnson, and then you lose him too. But having a Jewsberry to come in, having a rookie and Nick Beasler, who I can tell you I've heard good things about. Uh, you know, I've had a chance to talk to Caleb Porter quite a bit this offseason, and he had good things to say about Beasler. And look, Be- Beasler, one of the top picks in the draft— a uh, very impressive midfielder. Yes, the younger brother of Matt Beasley. Uh, you know, this k- kid won an NCAA title with Notre Dame. He's a poised player. He's he's one to watch. He, I think he's going to have a bright future. I don't know how many minutes he's going to get in year one, but you know, with, given the injury issues in midfield, maybe he gets a chance. So, for me, I like Caleb Porter's chances of piecing that team together and getting them through this injury stretch and the, and the the true test of a, of a good coach is how you adapt in those situations. And for me, a guy like Bruce Arena has always shown in his career his quality when he's been in situations like that. If you ever, if you go through the history of Bruce Arena's coaching career in MLS, whenever his teams have been injured and decimated by injuries and he's had to put a team on the field that absolutely shouldn't be able to get a result, they have found a way to get results. And that's going to be the test for Caleb Porter at the beginning beginning of this year. Can he fill the gaps while his stars are injured and coming back? If he does that, by
1: the time they come back, they're. I think they're going to be right there in the mix at the top of the West. Uh, real quick, uh, Fernando D. Ivis in 24 games last year, nine goals, four assists. I mean, very good for a first year in Major League Soccer. Also, Portland, with these injuries, they happened well uh, advanced before the season's hit. So yes, Portland has had time to find out ways to overcome these injuries. So no panic mode yet. I mean, I think Portland will do just fine. Moving up the list, Ivis the number four team in the Western Conference. We both actually agree on this pick. Who are they? Number four team. Wait, did we
2: agree? I don't think we did.
1: Yes, we I did think, agree.
2: I think I had Portland ahead of them, actually. Did you? But Yeah, but anyway, huh. we'll get back to it. No, we that was, I told you, FC, uh, Portland was the one team we kind of, we had the most variance in. But the number four team, as a consensus, mm-hmm. the number four team in the West, we have FC Dallas. Yes. So they, t- tell us about why you like FC Dallas.
1: Uh, look, the one thing with FC Dallas, Ivis, is Going to be the health of the team. When when Maro Diaz is 100 percent healthy, this team is looks unstoppable. In mean, evidence of Seattle last year in the playoffs, where D- FC Dallas just completely worked them over, and Seattle had no chance in this game. Uh, Fabian Castillo, I think he finally proved last year, Ivis, that he can be a consistent player. I, I I think he finally showed that he has that now quality to finish in the final third, something we've we've seen him lacking. But now he's shown that he has that ability. That's huge for them. Uh, Blas Perez, I mean, look another he, look. Like he's giving me quality every single year for them um, on the back line. Ivis they're looking pretty good. They have options back there with Matt Hedges, Walker Zimmerman starting to push for me. Uh, look. Oscar Preha, for me, was the coach of the year last year, and I think Ivis, he did a really good job allowing a lot of young players to gain a lot of valuable minutes, which you have to turn, expect these players to grow from that. And that's why I think FC Dallas is going to be better this year than they were last year. Question is, Ivis, can they stay 100% healthy? If they can, I I think they'll be a very tough team to beat uh, this year in the Western Conference.
2: Uh, look, I like Oscar Preha. I agree that he should have gotten more consideration from Coach Uier, uh, Coach Year than he did. Um, I think they're a good team. I think they're going to be a playoff team. Uh, they did improve. They did show improvement. A lot of those young guys should continue to gradually step up, but I don't know if they're going to make the leap. I don't know if they're going to take a big jump from what they did last year. To what they're going to do this year, I I don't know if they necessarily made, took the steps necessary to take a serious jump. Now, obviously, they had a ton of injuries last year, uh, defensively, and Matt Hedges for me, I don't think he does. He I don't think he got enough credit for what he was able to do, uh, stay, being the the rock in the in the defense there, even when everyone around him was getting hurt and he had to play with. I feel like he played uh, next, everyone in the on their roster played center back next to him last year at some point or another, um, but. I think Dan Kennedy, having him in goal, yes. I think that's a big one. Uh, I, when The more I think about that, the more I'm like, you know what? Maybe they will take a step up, step up this year. Dan Kennedy, he's been in purgatory the last couple of years in goal for Chivas USA behind some of the worst defenses you'll ever see. Now he goes to a team like FC Dallas with a player like Hedges, with a player like Zach Lloyd. Uh, with an improving player like uh, Moises Hernandez. And then mm-hmm. you have Kellen Acosta, a young player, who uh, could push his way into the lineup. So I, I, you know what? They're a good team. I'm not going to say they're not. I like them. I was big on them last year. I thought they were going to uh, surprise people last year. This year, maybe because I kind of already have – like I I, res- I respect them as a team. I like them as a team. But going into this year, I don't know if I've seen them do enough to their roster to keep up with the Joneses and, and to to stay afloat. Where they were when you have a team like Sporting KC coming into the West, when you have the other teams in the West just getting
1: better. Well, uh, FC Dallas did bring in Michael Barrios, Oscar Preha. Barrios, excuse me. Oscar Preha's been speaking very highly of him. He'll fit in on the right side. But I don't know, man. That, that's why I kind of feel like Dallas will be fine, man. I think a lot. We also missed out Victor Oyoa. I had a huge year for them last year, too. I mean, he started 25 of 26 matches to close out the season for FC Dallas. I just think that there's a lot of positive upside with a lot of these youngsters for them.
2: I I agree, but I just think it'll be a gradual improvement. I just don't think it's a breakout year. I just don't see them taking that step. I could be wrong. We'll see. Maybe Dan Kennedy, uh, just him in the back, his presence and and his calming uh, demeanor in the back. Maybe he helps them. We'll see. And and we'll see if if Fabian Castillo can continue to improve, if if he can take it another step because he definitely had a stretch last year where he was the most dangerous player yep. in the league. Uh, and if he can do that over the course of a whole season, that'd be huge for them. Obviously, you have a player like Teshu Akindele, who, you know, for me, I while I do not think he was Rookie of the Year by any means, I thought that was, a bit, of the of all the award picks, I thought that one was the biggest head-scratcher. Having said that, he showed quite a bit last year. Can he add on that? Can he build on that? So we'll see. You know, I, I think they're going to be good. I have them in the playoffs. I just don't know if I, I, I. If you're asking me between them and Portland, I just will take Portland over FC Dallas.
1: That uh, moving up the list, Ivis the number three team in the Western Conference. They are. Well, now we're getting into the
2: uh, rarefied air, and, and we have a new entrant into the Western Conference: Sporting Kansas City. Uh, I know they they had a down year last year, and maybe some people are kind of starting to write them off as a team that's going to start to collapse, but I definitely don't see that. I think they're going to bounce back back mm-hmm. strong. When you have your two players in Matt Beasler and Graham Zuzi who were clearly tired, clearly worn down from all the demands of international duty and in the January camp last year and the World Cup uh, and just the number of games that they played, I, you know, I think it, I think it really it really showed, and, and you had that, and then you had the in- injuries. The injuries that they had defensively were unbelievable when you lose Eichel Power for the year, Chance Myers for the year, Matt, Matt Beasler starts to wear down, Aurelian, Collin, his game regressed last year. So every, a, lot of things that, a lot of things went wrong, and even with all that, they were still a playoff team, um, but they, they clearly st- took a step back. And now, when you look at it, you have Beasley and Zusi back. They're refreshed. They learned their lessons from last year. They learned their lessons about getting worn down. So they've definitely come in this year, uh, aware that uh, of how to maybe avoid that. And then you and you look at the pickups that Casey has made. Uh, Christian Nemeth, it, it, all sorts of positive reviews. The 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 forward that they've brought in. You have Roger Espinoza. He is back, and uh, you know, his, while he was in Europe, he didn't necessarily do as well as some people would have thought, but this is still a guy who, when he was in MLS, was an absolute warrior. He was very underrated as a midfielder, and now he's more experienced. He's going to come in, and I really think he's going to help stabilize that midfield. I really like Kansas City this year, i got to tell you.
1: Well, the one thing that Espinoza should do is definitely pick up the, the void that Roselle left when he transferred out in June, and, and I think that was another thing, Ivis, where... It wasn't, it, you know, you know, when you looked at it. I mean, if you really watch Sporting Kansas City, you know what type of impact that he had on the team. And when he left, you could definitely see that void. But like having Espinosa's back, and I, and I agree. I mean, Chance Myers, Icapara healthy, one hundred percent. That's going to be huge for them. I mean, Graham's loser should bounce back. And the other thing is, you know, Dom Dwyer. I mean, he looked unstoppable last year. I mean, he should have another huge year for Sporting Kansas City this year.
2: Absolutely. And, and a lot of times last year he had to carry them. I mean, he was really it's crazy when you look at the the, the stats for Casey last year. He was the, the leading scorer and I think he scored as many goals as like the next five guys on the list. I mean, it's crazy. So obviously they needed to, to improve the attack and give him some help. And I think they did that adding a player like Christian Nemeth, the, the Hungarian striker who is been tearing it up in the preseason so if he is if he ends up being as good as advertised uh then there all of a sudden you have extra help for Dom Dwyer maybe you can switch up to a 442 maybe you can play Dwyer wide you could play Nep- Nemeth up top uh I, I, actually vice versa you play keep Dwyer up top you play Nemeth wide in a 433 I really like what they've done. I like what Burmese has done, and I, t- I tell you what, man, they, I think they're they're going to be a force this year.
1: All right, now we're down to the final two. Ivis the uh, well, the number two team to finish in the Western Conference. Who are they?
2: Now we had we were, we, were conf- we had conflicting votes on this. Um, we agreed on who the top two teams were, but uh, we had different teams at one, different teams at two. But since I have the tie breaking vote. We'll give number two. Yeah. To the, <laughs> number I love two. how
1: I love how it's fifty one forty nine percent in your favor.
2: Uh, how how else, you, Oh, you think it's that close? Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> I digress. All right, number two team in the in the West, the LA Galaxy, the defending champion, LA Galaxy. And I know some people will say, well, hey, how do you how do you drop the champs? Well, you drop the champs because Landon Donovan is chilling right now in a college classroom or playing tennis with his girlfriend. He's doing something other than getting ready for the 2015 season, and that is a huge loss. And that while L.A. is still a powerhouse, that loss is big, and that takes them down a notch.
1: Well, the good thing for L.A. is, I mean, look, yes, they they do lose Landon Donovan, and they did also lose Sarvis. He he goes on to Colorado Rapids. But for the most part, I mean, L.A. still has – uh, the majority of its team coming back, the back line, is, is at full strength. Robbie Rogers, A.J. De La Garza, Omar Gonzalez. Uh, the, and then you're also going to have a fully healthy Todd Dunavant. That's going to be huge for them. Uh, Dan Gargan was huge for them last year. Uh, Robbie Keane, once again. Jazzy Zardes continues to improve. And the one thing, Ivis, of course, because the roster is legit. But the <laughs> one thing, Ivis, is, I mean, how could you get bet against Bruce Serena? I mean, five MLS Cups in ten years? I mean, dude, the guy will always find a way, even when he loses quality players.
2: Well, hey, you said it, five and ten, right? Five MLS Cups ten years, but guess what? Five years they didn't win. And this, I think, is going to be a year they don't win because I see other teams in the league and at least one other team in the West getting the getting a step on them this, uh, this year. Now, look, L.A. could absolutely still finish on the top of the West, um, but those two losses are big. And obviously the one name you didn't mention, Yeah, I feel like you mentioned 15 names from the Galaxy. The one player you didn't mention is Steven Gerrard, who will be coming in the summer. That's a huge one for them. Uh, and you know what? Maybe he shows up and he helps push them back into the title picture, ma- makes them a champion once again. Uh, but losing Donovan and losing his his dynamism in the attack, uh, you're gonna, they're going to feel that. Robbie Keane's going to feel that. Uh, you're going to have to have other players pick up the slack. You're probably going to see Alan Gordon in the starting lineup. You could see Jossie Zardis pushed out on the wing the, uh, as he was two years ago, although now obviously he's a more mature player. Uh, as he showed when he was with the national team, he, they threw him out wide and he excelled. So it's going to be interesting to see how they cope with losing not just Donovan, but also Sarvas. I mean, I don't know if if you didn't watch L.A. on a regular basis, you might not be aware of just how important Sarvas has been for them. And, you know, with his absence, the crazy part is L.A. moved him because they thought they were going to go get Sasha Kleshton. And for the second time. Uh, a deal falls through for them or or an attempt to get Sasha Kleshton. It falls through for them. Obviously, last year they tried to get him. They traded away Kofi Opare to DC United to to get in position to add him, and then obviously it didn't work out. So I think LA Galaxy is still kind of scrambling from that. They clearly want to get better. They're going to get better when they get Steven Gerrard, but I think maybe the one piece away from being – the title favorite? Are they a contender? Absolutely. Are they on the short list? For me, I think they're on that kind of three or four team short list for the best MLS Cup contenders. But are they the favorite? I think I think losing Donovan keeps them out of that that spot.
0: All
1: right, Avis. Well, that obviously leaves the Seattle Sounders as the number one team in the Western Conference. Yes, sir. Uh,
2: look, last year they won two trophies. Uh, they they were a, a tough series uh, with LA away. From winning uh three, winning a treble, as much as people don't want to call it a treble. It was it would have been three trophies. Um, and I think they're gonna be better this year. I think they are. I know they look. You lose DeAndre Yedlin, that's a big one. Um, but they, they add to add a player like Tyrone Mears, he's a veteran, he's not quite as dynamic as as, as uh Yedlin is at right back was at right back, but I, I think they're gonna be okay. I think well. the the move to Put Brad Evans at center back is a very interesting one and could pay serious dividends for them Uh, because, look, nothing against Zach Scott. But I just never thought he was – I never thought he was just good enough. I mean Chad Marshall, obviously MLS Defender of the Year, he's great. But now you add a player like Brad Evans next to him, all of a sudden that Seattle defense that last year was was just good enough. To, to play behind the attack, all of a sudden
1: that defense could really be a strength. Well, exactly. That's, that's what I was going to I mean, look, if, you, if you're looking for – I will say if you're looking for anything on Seattle where you want to point out where there may be issues, the defense last year, I was still allow 50 goals, but you're right. It's going to be interesting to see how Brad Evans transitions. I mean, once again, there's a new role for him, but I mean, Brad Evans always seems to find a way to adjust to every position that he plays. I mean, it's, it's amazing to see him do that. But, I mean, the defense is kind of the only thing that you, – you know. it's going to be interesting to see how they start out of the gate and how they progress as the season goes on.
2: I think they're going to be a force, man. I think they, they, uh, they're they going to be right there for the Supporter Shield again. Uh, they're not my pick to win it, but I think they're going to be right there. And I, I think I – tell you what. I see Clint Dempsey this year really having a big year. Um, and now, look, obviously last year he had a great year uh, and kind of silenced some doubters who, who who looked on his first season in Seattle and thought, oh, maybe he doesn't have it anymore or maybe it's just not a good fit. Maybe, you know, all kinds of crap that they, they were throwing at him last year. He kind of quieted that. He had a great year. I think this year he takes another, even another step, and really becomes a force. And I think having having Obafemi Martins there uh, to work with, I think their partnership will, will, will just get even better. Uh, and I think for me, man, Dempsey's going to be in the MVP conversation. I think he will be. Um, so for me, I really like Seattle. I think Siggy Schmidt's going to going to keep put that group together. You have Lamar Nagel. Uh, you have Marco Papa now settled in, and 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 I think last year. He started off a bit slow, but once he kind of got his rhythm, he started to really show the qualities that he showed back when he was with the Chicago Fire. Um, so I think I, I like their attack a lot. I mean, their if you have a question mark there, the depth are they an injury away from really having issues? You know, and, and you could say that about any team if you lose a star player, any team in the league was will, will, will feel it. But I mean, I think Seattle, uh, you know, they, they've they're not quite as deep as they've been in the past. So that if any, if any, there's anything to look out for. It's how they would be able to adjust and adapt if they
1: have a serious injury. Well, as we've reached the end of the Western Conference preview, we now need to go into our award predictions. And in a SBI show first, we have Franco Panizo, SBI writer, joining the show. Iris, this is pretty big time, man. This is the first writer, SBI writer, we've ever had on the show.
2: Actually, it's the first writer of any kind that we've had on the show. 194 episodes. That's true. Uh, we we always we always thought, you know what? They want to hear our opinions. They want to hear my opinion, your opinion. I'm trying to. We've always uh, had
1: we've always had TV guys on the show. That's right. Well, no, TV we had alexian
2: and Taylor. That's the only guys we've had on. However, you know, we're, we're trying to promote the new SBI soccer and our and look, Franco Panizo, he's our star writer. He's our top writer uh I, I could say a lot of negative things about him but i keep, <laughs> keep that between all of us But look the guy it's about time people get to get to know him and, and hear his opinions obviously you can read about his opinions on our site but i want to give him a chance to showcase all the knowledge that he still has yet to pick up and and now we're gonna have him on the show and everybody say hello this is franco panizo
0: This is like a dream come true right now. I mean, Ivis is giving me compliments. I'm on the show. Gary, you got to get me on here more often, man. I, I I need as many compliments from Ivis as possible. Franco,
1: I always advocate for you to be on the show. Trust me. Yeah, because
2: that's because Garrett, does, Garrett doesn't want to be the only whipping boy anymore. He wants he wants me to spread the abuse to to other people. But, uh, but we had that Frank one because he's he's hoard himself out to every podcast imaginable. <laughs> he's been on like fifty eight different podcasts in the last in the last six months. So we figured, you know what? Instead of having him all over every ragtag podcast, let's have him on the SBI show. Give him his chance to shine. So perfect time to bring him on. We're gonna have him join us in in. In revealing our picks for the MLS awards, our predictions, and part of the reason we're doing this is so we can have it on the record. So a year from now, we can make fun of his predictions, and he can't change them and conveniently forget the picks that he made.
1: This is yeah, this is great having Franco on the show. He's definitely with you, boy. I'm I'm loving this right now, Ivis.
2: Yes, but hey, look, man. Look, Franco. all, All kidding aside, he's been on this. He's been on the beat. He's been writing for us for SBI for six years. He's put his work in, put his time in. Now he's our senior writer, our full-time senior writer. He's he's going to be all over MLS this year. U.S. national team he's no longer the Red Bulls beat writer for MLS soccer He is now focused on SBI and he's Ready to kick some butt this year so Part of that is going to be bringing him on Occasionally I think we are going to start Bringing more writers onto the show Uh, It's it's not going to be this huge Element I know some other shows they do that All the time that's like a thing that they do regularly We're not going to do it regularly but we will Have Franco on every now and then especially when We're on the road together
1: at all these big games All right, well let's go into the mls awards as since franco's the guest i I feel like we should let him go first so just so everyone knows we're going to be doing defender goalkeeper rookie coach newcomer golden boot mvp supporter shield and mls cup we'll start with the defender of the year franco is the guest we'll let you go first
0: I'm going to go with Omar Gonzalez uh, over with the LA Galaxy. Uh, you know, he's obviously has years of experience now under his belt. He's playing at a high level, obviously. Uh, he's been kind of up and down with the national team as of late. But in MLS, uh, he's still one of the, the best defenders in the league. I think uh, he, he's going to take another uh, – a little bit more responsibility this year, obviously, with Landon Donovan gone. You know, gotta need another leader to, to step in there and, and fill that role. So I think Omar Gonzalez takes that. Uh, and, and does very well uh, at the back for the LA Galaxy.
1: Uh, Ivis, I'll, I'll go ahead, and for my pick, I'll go with Matt Beasley. I think this is going to be a big bounce-back year for him, and I think uh, he's going to show everyone why he's the best defender in the league, and, and I think he's going to anchor Sporting Kansas City, which is going to vastly show it's going to be one of the most improved defensive sides this season.
2: Right. I mean, both those guys are great picks. I mean, they both won the award before. Uh, I don't have too much of a problem with either of those picks. I actually really like Beasley as, as a possibility this year, especially since he kind of struggled for him for his level last year. He struggled this year. I think, you know, he's going to bounce back. I agree with you. However, my pick is going to be a little different from, from, from normal. Uh, I'm going to go with a guy who hasn't won it before, but I really like the fit of where he is this year. And my pick for Defender of the Year, Nat Borchers for the Portland Timbers. I just think he's a guy who's really been underrated th- uh, throughout his career in – at Real Salt Lake, he's an outstanding defender, a very underrated passer. I thought it was interesting looking up his stats uh, when you want to talk about passing percentage among center backs, completed passes. Only Michael Parkhurst in MLS last year had had more completed passes than him, and, and now he goes to a team that, just like RSL, believes in possession. Caleb Porter is thrilled. He has nothing but great things to say about Borchers. I think Portland bounces back this year, and I think, I think Borchers is going to be a key to that.
1: All right, moving on to goalkeeper of the year, Franco. Who do you have?
0: I'm going with Real Salt Lake's Nick Romando. Uh, obviously he was in the running last year. He got he got edged out there by Bill Hamid. Uh, I think Nick Romando again is going to just be a steady presence back there for Real Salt Lake. Uh, I think he'll he'll be as dependable as he's always been and I think that he, he'll he'll push ahead of Bill Hamid again. Uh you know, maybe not in the US National Team that chart. maybe Bill Hamid this is the year where he, you know he can kind of make that push to to really take uh that number 2 or number 3 spot, but I think Nick Romando will still be a uh, you no, know, the number one goalkeeper in MLS this
1: year. I'm in the same boat as you, Franco. I got Nick Armando, too. I think this is going to be a year where RSL, yes, they've relied on him in the past for, to dig them out of holes. I think this is going to be another year they're going to have to rely on him even more. Yes, RSL's defense looks good. The midfield looks solid, but the forwards, I mean, RSL, they, they can't have quality forwards top can't hold the ball in the final third. So Nick Armando, I, I think this is a time for him to finally win the goalkeeper of the year award as he's going to, he's going to have to come up big for Real Salt so Lake uh, throughout the season. Ivis, who do you have? Well, I like Ramondo
2: as a pick. I think he's, he's definitely a solid one. He's he's clearly one of the best in the history of the league. It is crazy how he's always seemed to miss out uh, for goalkeeper of the year in MLS. Although, he, to, to be fair, he's been the SBI MLS goalkeeper of the year on two separate occasions. So I've got to point that out. However, for me, for this year, I'm going to go with a little bit of a different pick. This is not going to be a trend, but these two particular categories, I looked at it. I looked at the field, and, I, and there were guys who I thought that I think could really step up. And surprise uh, for me, Columbus crew goalkeeper, Steve Clark. I think last year he didn't get enough credit. I think this year he will have another strong year, even better. And I think the defense in front of him will be a bit better as well. I think having Pogatets in his second year, a bit more uh, settled. I think Mark Michael Parkers was outstanding last year. Having a, You always have to have a good defense in front of you to be a real contender for uh, goalkeeper of the year. He's going to have that. And I think he's just going to build on what was a really impressive first season. In Columbus, and as much tough as it can be for a guy in a small market to get the credit he deserves, I think Columbus is just going to be so good this year that it's going to be hard for people to ignore what they're doing. And I think that'll bring attention to how just how good Steve Clark actually is.
1: All right, moving over to the rookie of the year, Franco, who you got?
0: Uh, This was a tougher one for me, but I I think I'm going to go with uh, New York City's Kyrie Shelton. Uh, I think, you know, he's shown some flashes in preseason, uh, and I don't see him as a starter, uh, you know, from game to game, week to week. But I think he'll come off the bench, uh, you know, get some spot starts here and there, and I think just playing with David Villa and – having that you know that type of veteran presence and that type of player uh next to him will, will you know allow him to find more space behind the defenders uh get better looks on goals uh and, and get you know get himself some goals this year so I'm going with Kyrie Shelton. Uh, Franco's
1: stealing all my picks I'm also going to go with Kyrie <laughs> Shelton uh just the speed and athleticism up top is going to be huge for NYCFC and uh, same with, I, mean, I agree with you also Franco I mean rookie of the year it's always hard to predict but uh I got Kyrie Shelton. Ivis who you got?
2: See that's what you get for uh, revealing your <laughs> pick, to Franco before we recorded. I know. He stole it. Nice job, nice job. You got to keep it under wraps. But uh, I'll, I'll go. I'll tell you what. My go. My rookie of the year pick uh, is a little different. I like Sheldon actually. When I was really looking at it and kind of looking at the rookies, you know, there were some rookies. The, the one thing I would say about this rookie class is it's not really loaded with guys who are going to get a ton of minutes necessarily. I think they're going to. You have some rookies who are really going to have to, uh, in some cases, have a fortunate situations go their way whether it's you know having unfortunately have a teammate get injured or just really grind until maybe by the middle of the season they can get more and more minutes but Shelton was a guy I liked and uh, but he there's a guy who I really like I've liked him since the combine actually before the combine had him rated pretty highly on my big board uh, going into the MLS combine and then he tore it up at the combine Miguel Aguiar DC United, he's a guy who, while DC United, obviously they're a veteran team, they have midfielders, they have guys like Pontius and Rolfe and Nick DeLeon, so maybe it'll be tough for him to get minutes, but I just think he's a dynamic player. I think DC United, with the injury history of some of those same guys – it, the, the just with the the, the numbers game, you're going to have injuries in that group. I think there's going to be opportunities for him. And, and I think people saw him down in uh, Costa Rica in the first leg against Valencia, getting his opportunity. I think he's shown flashes. He's already shown that he's pretty fearless. He's not going to be this rookie who's going to be a deer in headlights. He will take advantage of the opportunities if they come his way. So for me, that's why he's, he's a bit of a dark horse pick. But I really like him. I think he is one of maybe three or four rookies who I think could really make an impact this year. I think Shelton's one. Uh, Kyle Aaron in Orlando City. There's a lot of competition there. I, I don't know if he's necessarily going to get playing time. Leo Stoltz at Red Bull uh, with the Red Bulls. I know he's kind of this you know trendy pick, but I don't know how many minutes he's going to get. But I tell you what, Miguel Aguilar. He I think he's a guy who could really surprise some people.
1: Uh, moving over to Coach of the Year, Franco. Who do you got?
0: Uh, see this is a tougher one for me uh, I you know I've given him actually quite a bit of thought but you know I, I think I'm gonna go with Oscar Pareja. I think uh, you know he's gonna help lead Dallas uh, back to the playoffs and build on on what they showed last year uh, you know Greg halt, Greg Barhalter was another another pick that I that I was considering but I think uh, Pareja's going to keep establishing FC Dallas as, as a strong team out in the West in the loaded West and I, I I'm gonna take him Pareja.
1: Uh, My coach of the year is going to be Greg Berhalter. I think this is going to be a huge year for the Columbus crew. Lots of key additions bringing in this year. Lots of core players coming back uh, as well. So I think uh, Greg Berhalter for Columbus. Ivis, who do you got?
2: There's a guy who I think could win it, and the guy I think I will win it. The guy I think could win it, Greg Vanny, if he gets it all figured out, if he puts the pieces together with all that talent, if he makes it work, if they finally break the jinx, he's going to win coach of the year. However, I'm not so sure it's a given that's going to happen. The guy I like who I think is going to get the credit he deserves finally is Jay Heaps. I think New England, obviously they tore it up last year. They did have that, that slump in the middle of the year, but they were unbelievable at the end. I think this year they put it all together. They have a, a great season from beginning to end, and I think Heaps finally starts getting some serious credit for the coaching that he's done on that team, and I think he's going to do it. I think he's going to win Coach
1: of the Year. Uh, moving over to Newcomer Franco.
0: Uh, I gotta go with Kaká. Uh, You know, looking at watching him in preseason, you know he still has the skills. Uh, you know he's still a step ahead of most defenders, so I, I'm taking Kaká I, I think he'll he'll be uh, on from first game first game forward, and uh, you know I think he's gonna really light up the league and then uh, you know show that he still has what it takes and has a lot left in the tank. Uh, yeah, I tell you, what,
2: I think he just made that pick because he actually saw him
0: in person and he saw
2: <laughs> that Kaká smile, and now he's in love. And he's just like, oh my lord, this guy's a rock star, so he's picking. Kaka.
0: I've, I've seen the smile, you know, covering the Red Bulls a couple years ago, so you know had had no effect on me whatsoever. Oh, my gosh.
1: Uh, for my newcomer of the year, I'm going to go with uh, Sebastian Jovinko. I think he's going to be huge for Toronto FC this year. I think he's going to show just his quality, not going to lose his step by coming over to Major League Soccer. Ivis, who do you have?
2: Well, there's those three big guys, the three big newcomers. You have David Villa, you have Kaká Jovinko. I agree with Franco. I'm going to go with Kaká. It's crazy to think that some people thought, oh, he might not come here, not might not be able to dominate, might not still have it. Listen, folks, Kaká still has it. He's going to do great. Villa might score 15, 20 goals, but I think Kaká, the impact he'll make, is going to impress people that much more. I think he's going to crush it in MLS. He's my
1: pick. All right, moving over to Colin Boot. Franco, who do you have?
0: I'm going David Villa on this one. Uh, I think you know he, he's also another guy that has a lot left to give and has shown that you know he is a step above and still has those world-class skills so I'm taking David Villa I think New York City is going to be a a very offensive team very offensive minded team they're going to score a lot of goals and I think David Villa is going to be a main part of that I'm going to go
1: with Robbie Keane Uh, with Landon Donovan gone someone's going to have to score those goals I think uh, you know Robbie Keane I definitely think that he's going to step up pick up that slack and uh, okay he's going to have another great year for LA Galaxy I guess who do you have
2: uh, I'm gonna agree with you, actually. Uh, wow. while he is not my MVP pick. Uh, crazy enough, I know you think, oh, if he's Golden Boot, how is he not MVP? But I think Robbie Keane will will up his goal production. I, I think he will pick up the slack on that front. Um, uh, Via is Via is he's such a he's he's such a pick that you look at and you say. Uh, he's gonna score 30 goals with Mixed Discrude and Lampard when Lampard gets there. But I'm gonna go Robbie Keane. I think he's gonna have 20 goals this year.
1: All right, moving over to MVP. Franco, go ahead.
0: Uh, I'm sticking with Kaká here again. I just really do think, uh, you know, he's gonna have a very big year for Orlando City. Uh, he's obviously, the, you know, the focal point, and it's gonna be the guy that leads the attack uh, and just leads that team. So I, I'm taking Kaká. I think he's gonna have a monster year in MLS. Uh, he's. I think he's really going to become uh, the face of uh, one of the faces of MLS. Um, he's in love. He's in love. I know,
1: man. Seems like it. Uh, give him all
0: the awards. Give him everything. He wants to give him Defender of the Year too. <laughs> uh,
1: my MVP is going to be Clint Dempsey. Uh, look, he, he's sure that he. You know, MLS is not going to hold him back from being the player that he has. He had a big year for the Seattle Sounders last year, and I think that everyone we all agree it's going to be a huge year for the Seattle Sounders. I really think that Dempsey is going to lead that charge. Iris, who do you have?
2: Gary, just submit right now that you have on your browser Goal.com opened up and you have read my prediction Because I already picked MVP It's online already Clint Dempsey, I agree with you I didn't steal your pick because it's already online Clint Dempsey, I agree I think he's going to do it I know he's going to split some votes with Obafemi Martins and I know there's going to be stiff competition. Uh, I actually like Kaká. I, I, I agree with Franco. I think Kaká is going to have a huge year. But I just think Seattle is going to be a monster this year. I think Orlando City is going to have their growing pains. Clint Dempsey, I think he's going to step it up and just be just – he's going to put up crazy numbers this year. I really I really see it. Uh, supporter Shield, Franco, go ahead.
0: This is another tough one, man, because you never know how injuries play out, how midseason acquisitions uh, – Come into come into this the whole thing, but I, you know what? I'm going to take the New England Revolution uh, out in the East. I think uh, you know they have a, a pretty well-rounded roster, uh, a lot of attacking weapons. Uh, Charlie Davies, now you got Juan Agudelo in the mix, Teal Bunbury, uh, Lee Wynn. Uh, you know, and then you got Jermaine Jones, you know, st- coming back for his first full season in MLS. So I think they're gonna have a, a big year. I think they're gonna be pretty consistent, and, and I think they'll have the best record uh, w- when the regular season's over.
1: I'm gonna go with the LA Galaxy. Uh, they return, the, I mean, the majority, the core of the team they had last year. Yes, Landon Donovan's gone, but you have just so many quality players for for the LA Galaxy in the starting eleven. Also, you're gonna see the addition of some younger players, and think Bradford Jamison, possibility of a player that you may want to watch to may want to watch. So I think LA Galaxy will. Be far, win support his shield. Ivis, who do you have? I don't see LA just because the West
2: is so tough. I think they're just going to play a tougher schedule than the top team in the East. My pick, which again is already online. I think Frank was checking out his phone. He saw my pick, New England Revolution. As I mentioned with the coach of the year pick with Jay Heaps, I just think they're going to crush it. Uh, I, think I don't want to say they're going to run away with the East, but I think they're going to win by a comfortable margin. I think, I think Andrew Farrell is going to slide in perfectly in center back to replace A.J. Soares. Agudelo is going to do well. Lee Wynn going to kill it. Jermaine Jones is going to boss the midfield for the entire year. New England Revolution.
1: Uh, MLS Cup, Franco. And I want the winner and the losing team as well.
0: The winner and the loser. Okay. Uh, yeah, I think New England gets back there. Uh, I think they're going to make it again, and I see them losing again. Uh, I'm taking Seattle over New England uh, MLS Cup. I think you know, Seattle was, was, is getting closer and closer every year, and I think this will be the year where they finally you know, make that push to, to the title game, and I think they'll actually uh, win it this time, knocking off New England in the final.
1: Yeah, I'm going to be same boat as you, Franco. I, I think Seattle will defeat New England Evolution. Seattle will finally uh, win that exclu- uh, elusive MLS Cup title. Ivis, who do you have?
2: Well, it's funny. We All three of us have the same two teams in the final. However, I do not have the same winner. I have New England breaking the jinx. And, and it's just going to be so fitting because they are going to break the jinx of not winning, being able to win an MLS Cup. And they're going to hand the jinx over to Seattle, who, we, as we all know, have been chasing that elusive MLS Cup so hard. I just think this is the year for New England. I think along with them winning a uh, Supporters' Shield, they'll have the home field in the final. And I can see it now. I can see Gillette rocking. Anyone who was there to see the Revs against the Red Bulls in the Eastern Conference Finals saw how great an environment that was, even though it's a huge football stadium. But imagine an MLS Cup in Gillette. I was at MLS Cup and in Foxborough at the old uh, Foxborough Stadium when they, when New England played L.A. in 2002. And that was incredible. It'll be even better this time around. Lee, uh, Lee Win, Jermaine Jones, they're going to win it. They're going to take both ty- both trophies. Jay Heaps lifts the MLS Cup
1: finally. All right, well that ends the SBI show season predictions. Time to kick Franco off the show. So Franco, thanks for stopping by, man. How was your experience? You got to tell us. Did you enjoy yourself?
0: I did, I did. Uh, You know, especially with the compliments in the beginning. You know, I'm not gonna (laughs) let. I just live that down for the rest of this trip here in Orlando. So I'll be bringing that up quite a bit. Might might throw it on Twitter too. So uh, you know, I do appreciate it though. Hopefully we'll be back soon. Maybe your yeah. voice
1: maybe your voice will get recognized at bars now Franco. I mean that that's pretty big time.
0: <laughs> yeah, anybody recognizes
2: your voice Garrett.
1: All the time dude. They always be like, "Oh, you are that you're that whipping boy in the SBI show." I'm like, "Guess I am." <laughs> that's right. No, but
2: uh <laughs> but yeah, no. It's great to have we'll have Franco on. We'll have him on a bit more throughout the year obviously and uh Uh, Allow him to let people know uh, know his opinions and get him out there. So it's good to have him on, and I'm I'm sure we'll have him on uh, again pretty soon. Yeah, this is
0: pretty casual too. Me, me, and I just got along here. Usually we don't get along when we when we start talking soccer. We just start, you know, butting heads. So uh, look forward to that, uh, you know, in the coming months.
2: I'm taking it easy on him. I don't want to have him to have an awful first experience, but slowly. But surely we'll start to, to, to you know whip him into shape. We'll start to abuse him just like I abuse you, Gary.
1: Yeah, we'll, we'll destroy all Franco's hopes and dreams. That That's what we need yes. to accomplish.
2: Tear him down and build him up. That's yeah. how we do it.
1: <laughs> that is such like a Jersey thing. All right. <laughs> all right, Franco, thank you for stopping by. Ibis. we need to continue on. So Franco, we'll talk to you later, all right? He's gone already. He's gone. He's okay, all right. The He's all right. <laughs> all right, Ivys. a few other things before we close out the show, a few just uh, MLS notes that we need to get to. Uh, Carlos Bocanegra has been hired by the new Atlanta expansion team as the technical director. Uh, it's crazy to think that Carlos Bocanegra, one, is retired. That's just crazy to think that. But, uh, Ives, I mean what do you make of this move, Atlanta hiring Carlos as their technical director?
2: I know it's late, but what did you say? Carlos Buttermaker? I don't know I I said what I said Bocanegra. What are you talking about? I, I know, the second time. The second did time. I really? I'll have to go back and listen to that. Let's listen to it right
1: now. <laughs> Bo- Bo- Bocanegra. Continue, Ivys. Go ahead.
2: <laughs> well, look, it's hard to say, right, how, how he's going to do. I mean, he doesn't really have experience in, in, in that field, but uh, there's no doubt that when you want to talk about a player who uh, played extensively in Europe. Played in MLS, obviously he's a national, former national team captain. You'd like to think that he 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 knows the the way the league works. He has ties and connections in Europe, you know. So he's going to have his chance to grow on the job. Uh, it, it's not going to be an easy job to, to get thrown into that kind of situation, uh, but we'll see how he does. And and I think this is going to be. Uh, I mean, it's, it's not a new thing. I mean, we've seen players uh, take that jump and make that move
1: to, to front office positions like that. So we'll see how Boca ever does. And I have this one big question, Mark, that has eluded us since they became a new team in Major League Soccer with NYCFC. Is who's going to be the third DP for them. Reports are starting to heat up that Xavi from Barcelona may be their third DP. I think it'd be awesome to see him in Major League Soccer. Uh, I mean, look, what are the chances of this actually happening, though? Uh, it's still
2: to say. I mean, we, we've seen a, a lot of stars come over recently, Kaká, Davi, So you can't rule anything out completely. Uh, obviously, Xavi's uh, representatives came out after those reports came out and said that there's nothing set in stone, there's no deal in place. Um, having said that, I think where there's smoke, there's fire in this instance, because this has been going on for some time. Uh, I think that from what I understand, based on some of the things that Xavi said in, in reports in, in recent months, he came very close to coming uh, to signing with. NYCFC a, a year ago, but he decided to stay with Barcelona. So, I think there is a chance. There's a, and look, NYCFC, can if you talk a midfield of, of Sh- Xavi Lampard and Mix
1: Disgrude, I mean, that, that, that'd be pretty damn impressive. So, we'll see if they can pull it off. Uh, also, speaking of things that have been in development for quite some time, uh, young center back for Sporting Kansas City, Eric Pullman brown Looks like the transfer may happen for him. Uh, I mean, is this a good move for him, Ivis, to move over to Italy? Well, that's
2: the question, right? What you're with um, young Americans going over? How will they be handled? What what kind of development setup will they be uh, thrust into? I mean, let's just uh, to be clear, uh, Juve Juventus's interest in him is not like, oh, we want to sign Eric Palmer Brown because we think he's going to start for us. It's completely speculative. It's it's a chance because you, know, you don't understand the kind of money that these clubs have, and and for them. It, it, it's kind of a, a lottery ticket. You know, they, they they buy a player like Palmer Brown, they put him in their development system, and maybe a few years from now he can develop into a, stop, a top talent. Obviously, their scouts see the skill set, they see the upside, and they think he's someone who could help them years down the road. Uh, the thing is with – I know some people will look at it and say, why would Sporting Kansas City sell – uh, young talent like Eric Palmer Brown when it comes down to it you know his contract with KC is not a lifetime contract his contract will expire and at a certain point if you're Kansas City and you're looking at him and you're saying to yourself okay he only has a couple years left on his deal he's not someone who's necessarily going to start for us this year um, m- maybe not even next year so if we have a chance to cash in now and sell him uh, why not take advantage? Why not sell them and and recoup that and then and, and use those resources, uh, use that revenue for other for other resources. So I, for other things, whether it's you know signing players or helping boost their academy and, and reinvest in their academy. So I have absolutely no problem with this move. I, I think look, Kansas City when you when you want to talk about the way front offices in MLS operate, they're one of the best in the league at everything they do in terms of you know trades that they make, draft picks, uh moving players on that that need to move on and and sending them where they want to go uh they they just run things impeccably and and usually they they make the right moves and in this case you can't blame them because you can't just keep a player like Palmer Brown have his contract run out never have him really develop into a first team starter and then you and then lose him for nothing to Europe if if you if Juventus is offering significant money now significant by MLS standards money now you can't blame KC if they take it.
1: Well, speaking of Sporting Kansas City, and you talk about getting funds for him for the possible transfer, uh, reports are coming out that Sporting Kansas City are very interested in signing Rafael Van Der Vaart. Uh, I was what do you make of this move? Well, I don't think it's it's an extreme Potem- shock. Sorry, I mean, p- potential move, sorry. It has, has yeah. not happened yet.
2: Right. I mean, I haven't heard it from any sources that, that it's definitive, but there's definitely a lot of... Uh, Speculation. The uh, reports out of Germany obviously are, are pretty, pretty uh, solid outlets that are reporting this. Now, KC—they are not afraid to spend money. Um, as, as anyone knows, they—they—they they, they were ready to step up for the uh, the Michael Bradley sweepstakes. They—they were—they were one of the teams that was very interested in him. So, I think for the right player. They're willing to make that kind of investment. So Vandervaart is is he that kind of player? Is he the player that's going to move the needle and worth millions of dollars? Uh that's a question mark. I mean, he's a talented player, there's no question. But I mean, is he is he someone who moves the needle on the field, off the field? Is he gonna be a marketable guy? That's the questions that Casey has to answer. And and if they're just ready to sign a player uh, who they feel like is the missing piece for them to b- be back to championship level, then you can't really blame them that they want to spend that kind of money. When you look at a guy like Jermaine Jones in KC uh, in New England and the kind of impact he made for the Revs, I'm sure KC looks at that and they say, listen, it, we we can't be afraid to spend some millions of dollars if it means plugging in the perfect piece to help us. And I think maybe that's what they see Vannevar being. Uh-
1: Moving over to the national teams, dropping down a few age groups, the US U-17s are absolutely killing it right now in the CONCACAF U-17, qualifying for what will be uh, the FIFA U-17 World Cup, which will be played later this year. Right now, I see U-17s 3-0 in the group stage, they've already scored scored 11 goals, one goal against. Uh, two years ago, the U-17s did not advance to the World Cup. So this is, this is a big thing that the U-17s are now back in the World Cup, which they should be. Uh, but look, look, the U-17s, I mean, just absolutely killing it right now at the CONCACAF uh, qualifying.
2: Uh, right. I mean, I believe going into the tournament, I mean, we, we talked about it and I said, I mean, this is a special group. There are some absolute studs on this team, some future stars. Obviously, when you want to talk about that age group, U-17, a U-17 star, you, you can take five U-17 stars and maybe one of them really pans out into a senior national team standout. So uh, you always have to take it with a grain of salt. But this group, man, I mean, the talent... I, I said it before, I said in one of the recent shows, I have, I have not seen a U-17 team this stacked, this talented, since the Freddie Adu U-17 team that had Eddie Gavin, uh, Jonathan Spector, uh, that that team was special. Danny Zatello was on that team uh th- this team is be- could be the best U17 team that the US has ever had uh when you want to talk about guys like Joshua Perez, Joe Gallardo, Joshua Perez who scored a hat trick today uh Luca Della Torre I mean they're, 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 they 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 had so many impressive impressive standouts and look they're going to be a force to be reckoned with at the World Cup uh and and beyond the whole u tournament thing what I'm very curious to see is how all of these talents develop in this Crucial age of development when you want to get to 17 to 22, 17 to 21, those crucial years. Let's see how these guys develop, because this could be a special group. And the U.S. US needs this group to develop. Uh, and, and there's the talent. The talent's there, no question about it. Anyone who watches the team play, the talent is there. But hopefully, hopefully, unlike past cycles and past star youth players, they can stay on a good track and develop along the way so that they can be full national team contributors.
1: Well, the U.S. still has two more matches in the group stage uh, against Honduras and Jamaica, who are... uh, number two and number three in the uh, group standings right now uh that game against uh honduras is march 8th the game against jamaica is march 11th moving over to the u.s women's national team in the uh, first group match for them at the algarve cup they defeated norway 2-1 to this is also a huge measuring stick for the u.s women as after this cup will be the world cup so the u.s women off to a good start in portugal
2: well as as we all know as anyone who followed the US women uh can can attest this tournament is a big tournament not necessarily it's not it's just it's not about the result but it's about you this US team showing that they are still an elite team that they are still a true world cup contender because there've been some question marks about the quality of play uh by this team in recent friendlies so it's good to see them get off to a winning start and this is a tournament that they need to show That they are, in fact, still uh, a a world championship contender. And we'll see if they do it. We'll see if they can uh, build on this opening win uh, and and start to maybe ease some of the fears that you're starting to to, to sense in the women's soccer – in the U.S. women's national team fan base. That, that they have some doubts. There's some
1: doubts there. So the next game for the U.S. women is Switzerland March 6th and then Iceland on March 9th to round out the group stages. Well, Ivis, we have reached the end of the SBI show. Before I let you go, is there anything else that we need to touch or is there anything else that we forgot to touch on?
2: Um, I think we covered a lot. I mean, obviously, the CBA, it's, it, it's as much as, you know, some people aren't going to be happy with the deal. It's great that we avoided a strike, it would have been an absolute n- nightmare if if a strike had happened if if game, the first week had to be canceled th- if this opportunity had been missed to make a strong opening statement in this new market of Orlando where the fans are so excited uh this game is going to be so huge um not it, it's not just Kaká David Villa making their MLS debuts it's 60,000 filling a stadium and another example of, of MLS growing and heading in a positive direction. So, uh, you know, good job by whoever, all the people that were involved in making it happen. Uh, was it the best deal possible? Maybe, maybe not. But it seems like progress. You feel like it was a step forward, and and above all, the league avoided a huge taking a huge step back. So from there, and from that standpoint, it was a good
1: week. <laughs> Completely agree, Ivys. Look, I, I'm just excited to, uh, to chill at home on Friday night and watch uh, watch soccer tomorrow, man. I'm excited. Actually, watch soccer all weekend long. It's, it's gonna be fun. Yes, sir. Man, stay at home on Friday night. God, things single cared three years ago would have said, man. What happened?
2: Nice. <sighs> you're all you're all domesticated, man. I'm telling you, man. It, it, a father time catches up with us all, man. You're 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 slowly. Uh, you slowly hanging out. Head, every, it happens to every, look even Franco, man. He's twenty. He's twenty six now. He's about to be twenty seven. You know, we'll, we'll be hanging out. He'll be checking out the ladies, and uh, you know, I'm already telling him, look, nah, she's too young for you, man. So it happens to everybody. So I know he's in denial <laughs> in that front, but you know, it, it is what it is. But it's great, though, man. You know what? It, nothing wrong with getting old. Nothing wrong with, uh, you know, experiencing experiencing things, and 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 it's funny because you get to a point and you look back and you're like, man i've been through a lot i've learned a lot i've experienced a lot and you know you'll get there man you'll get there we'll be, we'll, hopefully the show will keep going strong uh and then you know you and i will be talking about the the wedding plans you know I, i'm already going to be the best man at the wedding so you know that's already settled so it's great oh
1: do we do we settle on that
2: that's what you told me i mean i don't know i, mean, I don't have to be you could go hire a best man like kevin hart you know? no dude
1: you're gonna be the, no you're gonna be the dj at the wedding i need good you, music at the wedding
2: well, that's true. well. this is true, because we, we don't want SBI show outro music. We want intro music. The outro but, music's uh, fine. <laughs> yeah, the three songs you rotate. That's no, not true.
1: I, I do other songs, <laughs> and I rotate because I'm sick. You know why. Don't, uh, don't be I know, I know. But, uh,
2: but <laughs> no, you just want me to be the best man because you want to have a, a kick-ass bachelor party. Let's just admit that.
1: Uh, that's actually very true. I didn't think about that part.
2: Well, there you go. See, so I, don't know. Gonna... I don't even
1: know if I want to have one. Do I have to have one?
2: You have to have one and it'll be a tame one it'll be a nice you know we'll have a nice uh, we'll have a good time we'll get to we'll get your brothers in we'll we'll, we'll send you off in stop
0: thanks i appreciate that
1: all right man well we've already hit we've, we're about to hit one one hour and 30 minutes on the show so with that i'm gonna let you go enjoy the rest of your night and i'll catch up with you after the weekend all right yes sir and as always everyone thank you for listening to the show thank you for the views thank you for the comments enjoy week one of the Major League Soccer season this weekend the SBI show we'll be back again on Monday morning that is Ivis Golarsev. I am Garrett Cleverly. this is the SBI show